God bless and welcome to this week's episode of Family Discussion. We are so glad that you've joined us today. Family Discussion is a podcast of Reform Margins, a site dedicated to providing a platform for people of color to engage the larger Reformed and Evangelical conversations. Jesus teaches us in the Gospel of John that the world will know that we are his followers by the way that we love one another. And yet it seems like the love of Jesus is less and less evident in the way that we speak to and about one another, especially when we disagree. So, in the hopes of recapturing the brother-sister love that Jesus has won for us, we are calling a family meeting. For the next half hour, let's cut through the noise and look at the issues without slander and malice. It's time for a family discussion. God bless and welcome to another episode of the Family Discussion Podcast. A Wednesday episode had a little bit of production trouble, and so we're getting to you a day late. But what matters is that we are here. My name is Marcus Ortega. I am one of your hosts. And as always, I am joined by the multi-talented Lisa Spencer. Lisa, how's it going? (laughs) Well, you know, there is another word for multi-talented. And that can translate into being a little scrambled. Scrambled. (laughs) Oh, man. I'm just saying. <laughs> but the reason, Lisa, that I say that you're, you're scatterbrained or you're multi-talented, I use multi-talented, is because you got some really cool things coming up uh, with the work that you're doing there in Virginia. And tell us a little bit about what you've been up to. So, um, so I work for an organization called Local Colors, and it is a celebration of international diversity. It fosters the values of inclusion and multicultural understanding. Um, Our signature event is an annual festival, which brings together people from many different cultures. Um, And typically it's, you know, it's held in a park in downtown Roanoke, where you have vendor booths where people are selling food and merchandise and there are cultural displays and there are performances going on that are representative from cultures around the world. Well, because of COVID, um, last year we had to do virtual. So this year, um, it's in May, and we're doing a modified festival. Now, when I say we, um, my organization is a staff of one, which is me. Um, (laughs) I do work with a team of very dedicated volunteers, our steering committee, and they help out with the logistics of the festival but a lot of it is on me and that includes raising money raising sponsorship dollars as well so that's yeah that's really important um so we just put out applications for the vendor booths and for the performance last uh the end of last week actually i had to redo them and um so that um, when I, oh, I'm sorry, earlier this week, and then I just had to redo them and send out communication like, oh, sorry, the forms are screwed up. But anyways, um, needless to say, the, you know, it's February, the event is three months away. We actually are doing a three-prong approach. We're doing in-person. We have virtual for the, um, for most of the performances, we're going to have some small performances there, but most of them are going to be virtual. So it's a matter of work. I have a volunteer who, you know, helps with recording and editing. Um, and we also have a very cool thing of how it opens. It opens with the presentation of nations. Oh, it's awesome. So, yeah, so people from different countries, they come in. We always, of course, the U.S. flag is is right on, up front. But people from different countries, they come in holding their flag and typically dressed 
in, um, you know, something that's uh, appropriate for their culture. Um, so that's, that's really, it, it's really cool, but we're going to have to do that virtually. Um, and we're introducing another, another component of a scavenger hunt. So it's a lot. Um, so when I say scattered brain, like, I'm not really joking about that. <laughs> Man, that is so that is so cool. I love it. Um, we got to let people know. Hey, if you're in Roanoke, you got to be at this thing. When is it, Lisa? It's in May, May fifth, May fifteenth. May fifteenth. All right, there you go. Got to get that plug in. We'll still put the plug out. <laughs> so, Lisa, we're going to continue our conversation we've been having for a while now, talking through uh, systematic theology, justice, ethnicity, all all the way that we can view contemporary issues from a systematic theological lens. Uh, which has been an interesting journey for us. Last time we spoke um, about kind of the limits of general and uh, general revelation and common grace. Today we now shift completely towards conversations about special revelation and and particularly what is special revelation, um, what how does special revelation lead us to Jesus? What's the relationship between the Bible and Jesus? When we talk about special revelation, what um, what what we're talking about when we talk about things like prophecy and, and kind of those extra pieces of revelation that are out there. Lisa, I know you did your thesis on a, a lot of these questions, so we're going to get there first. But before we do, I wanna I wanna just help people see real quick in, in by way of summary um, the relationship between general and special revelation. Special revelation is the the grid or the sieve that we use to better understand general revelation um general revelation is limited by um our own sinful misunderstandings of the things that we see around us in the world and we can believe very untrue things about the world and the universe and ourselves based just on general revelation. In fact, if we only had general revelation, it would not be sufficient to lead us towards salvation. It would only be sufficient to condemn us in our sin. <laughs> and so, in love and in grace, God gives special revelation. And we're going to, um, through this conversation, you'll see that we will limit special revelation to being um, the scriptures and how the scriptures reveal Christ. Um, and so that's, that's the limits of special revelation. But it's important for us to see that even though God speaks more clearly through special revelation, it can still be misunderstood by our sin. It can still be, we can twist things we can purposefully misunderstand or ignorantly misunderstand the teachings of scripture. And so... Just to say we have special revelation is not enough. It must be special revelation that is received by faith. And this is how the Holy Spirit works in us to understand the scriptures. He speaks to us through the scriptures. And so um, that's kind of how general and special revelation work together. Now, Lisa, I've said a couple times, we limit special revelation in our conversation to the word of God the word of God written, and the word of God demonstrated in Christ. Um, but you have a bit of a background in uh, streams of Christianity that maybe don't limit special revelation to those two things, to the scriptures and to Christ himself. Um, 
So I wonder if you could walk us through a little bit. I know you did this in your thesis to try and help understand for yourself why Scripture is the, um, the primary place of special revelation for all of us. Walk us through your paper a little bit. Show us, a, I know this comes from your own experience as well. So just tell us why do you come down to a place where you limit special revelation to the Bible? Well, it's a little thing called in our seminary halls, theological method. Oh. How do we, what is the way in which we understand who God is and what he has communicated to us? And what happens in more charismatic circles is not so much a neglect of the Bible as the authoritative word of God, right? Because I think that you will, you will be hard pressed to find, now maybe they're extreme, you know, they're, they're extreme, you know, there's always fringe groups, sure, yeah. but you would be hard pressed to find anyone who identifies as a charismatic who does not uphold the authority of Scripture. And, and I would say even using uh, Scripture as a sieve mm. for extra-biblical communications, and, and, you know, and, and the mo- most prominent of that being prophecy, or what's identified as prophecy. Um, so we need to we need to be careful with our um, accusations. Mm-hmm. The issue is that what, in terms of what God has communicated to us, what we need to know for faith and practice has finally um, it you know the finality of that is located in Scripture because. The locus of that communication is in the work and person of Jesus Christ, right? So we can look at the Old Testament and see how God, you know, starting from Genesis, how he interacted with his creation. And along that interaction, as he was building this body of people, as he was, you know, um, taking steps to restore, to redeem, restore what happened in the fall, um, his, his speech interacted with, his, with these physical acts, with his promises. And I think that that's really important because when you get to what he has done in Christ, Right, and all in Second uh, Corinthians one ten one twenty. Right, all of the promises are in Christ. Are have find their yes and amen in Jesus Christ. You know, and I think that's a very packed sentence um, because we can look at everything that God did in the Old Testament. Find and in in His what He promised finds its fulfillment in Jesus Christ and then the New Testament letters explain what what that has meant. Um, So what happens when you get to the New Testament with a lot of our you know charismatic brothers and sisters is they'll look at the um, the ways in which people supposedly received knowledge of God right because you did have you, you had church settings. This is, you can see this in the book of Corinthians. The, there were church settings um, in which there was prophecy, right? 
1 Corinthians 14. We can't ignore that. But the question is, what was being spoken? Was it, oh, God telling you what he's going to do, you know, next year or next, next week? Who's going to get elected? Or did it have to do with the worship of God? Which meant, what does this mean? What, what does the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ mean for this body of believers and how they interact with the world? And for that, we can look to the New Testament writings and say that God's speech was sufficient for us to know and understand what he wanted us to know and understand. And that's what we mean by the sufficiency of scripture. Yes, it's, it's, I, I like the way you've put that. It's, we understand what we need to understand. We don't understand necessarily everything. We understand what we need to understand for faith and life. It also helps limit what we can expect out of special revelation. Um, you can't go to the Bible as a mathematics textbook, for example. That's not what it's designed to or do. Or a science textbook. All right, listen, I didn't go there, so I don't know. I mean, that was, if you're going to email go us, there. you email yeah. Lisa I'm for not, that one, uh, not uh, me. Yeah, I'm not going <laughs> to. We won't go there, but anyways. We won't go there today. Uh, but I think that's, that's what's going to be helpful for us is, Special revelation is God's message to us about all we need to know for faith and life. This is how the Westminster Standards put it, right? That all we need for faith and life is sufficiently communicated to us in the scriptures. Um, and the centerpiece of that message is uh, the God-man himself, the Word of God, Jesus Christ. Um, I, I want to bring a theologian to the table um, from the second century. All right, All right so we're going back. Uh, his name is uh, St. Irenaeus of Lyon. He wrote in the uh, second half of the second century, and so we're talking about a hundred years after the apostles have written the New Testament. And he wrote um, famously a book called Against Heresies. Less famously is a book he wrote called On the Apostolic Preaching. One of my elders lent this book to me. It's brilliant. Um, and, and I thought it was going to be about preaching. Because if preaching is in the title of a book, you kind of just assume, oh, we're talking about how to preach or homiletics or something like that. Nothing to do with any of that. Um what it is, is St. Irenaeus is writing to a guy named Marcianus, and he is explaining the content of apostolic preaching. Here's what we're actually, here's what the apostles taught. And the entirety in two parts is to show the story of the Old Testament leading to Christ, and then to demonstrate the way that the prophets specifically foretold the coming of Christ. And Irenaeus is basically saying, this is what we've got. We've got the scriptures, and we've got how the scriptures led us to Christ both in history and in prophetic word. Um, and the culmination of all of this is in Jesus Christ, and he spends uh, just a little bit of time towards the end of this book talking about the way his Jesus' own miracles and work demonstrate that he was the one the prophets had foretold. Um, and I think that's really helpful for us to see that even a hundred years after the apostles, it has become very clear what special revelation is designed to do. 
It's to teach us who Jesus is, what he has accomplished for us, and how that then impacts uh, life and faith. Mm-hmm. And and I think that we can go to the scriptures to make it teach us things that maybe scripture wasn't all that designed to do in the first place. Um, so having some limits on what we should ask of special revelation, I think is important. Now, Lisa, when you wrote, you were also looking at the limits of special revelation um, and how it is sufficient to show us Christ. Mm-hmm. What was in your thesis kind of, if you could crystallize for us what you were really trying to to hammer home for folks that might be helpful here. Well, I interacted with three books that advocated for the need for extra information from God. Um, one of them was Surprised by the Voice of God by Jack Deere, even though it wasn't new at the time. Now, keep in mind, I wrote this six years ago. So I was finalized December of 2014. So it's been a, it's been a minute. So in the world of scholarship, yesterday is what you mean. Yesterday. Right. Okay. okay, there All we right. go. Thank you for that little boost. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I, I interacted with uh, this little book that was written by a graduate of my seminary, uh, Dallas Theological Seminary. And he wrote a book at this weird title. God told me, uh, where to work, who to marry, and I'm pretty sure I'm not crazy. And again, the premise <laughs> is we need pr- the premise is we need for God to tell us. We need in extra information, you know, like- that is directly tied to, and it's tied to, and and here's why it's important because we are re- we are required to obey God's word. Yes. So when you have anytime you say God said. Mm-hmm. That is an obe- an, a requirement for obedience. So what happens if you start imposing words upon God that he didn't say, and now you're uh, requiring obedience for that? Well, one word of that is legalism, but there are other words. Um, and so that's why I felt like it was really important for me to address this, and because I came out of these circles. Yeah. Right? So the third book... And I know I'm probably going to step on some toes with this. I apologize in advance. Jesus Calling. Oh, no. Um, yes, Lisa. I interacted with Jesus Calling. She's in the PCA. Um, yeah, I, I know that, but all we right. won't go there. I'm just saying, um, not the EPC, the PCA. Okay, all, all right, right, I see what you did. <laughs> um, and so my, you know, my thesis really was to show, it really was to show the sufficiency of Scripture. But here's one thing that I did do and that I think is it kind of important for our broader topic of what we do with social issues. Um, in, for, so for those like us who say that God has spoken, he's already spoken, we don't need extra information, there tends to be a neglect of experience. And we have to be honest about what do what do we do with experience? I don't know who, what Christian hasn't heard like voices in their head. Now our charismatic brothers and sisters would say, well that's God speaking. I would say I actually have tied that to general revelation and God speaking through the conscience because guess what? The Holy Spirit is always at work. We don't want to deny that. Um, Vern Poitras wrote this gem of an article 
in the 19, I believe it was from 1986, um, in the Journal of Evan Evangelical Theological Society. And he had this theory about the analogy of apostolic gifts, right? Because what our charismatic brothers and sisters do is say, well, you know, you can see the apostles going and their prophets. And of course, that continues today. Um, and he makes an argument for the analogy of gifts, right? Acknowledging that there are certain gifts that ceased in the first century, but that there are an analogy of gifts. And so one thing he does, which I think is really, um, I, I thought was really interesting with what some would call prophecy. And if you're familiar with Wayne Grudem and how he identifies prophecy, he, he and Vern Preuthers are really saying the same thing, except Wayne Grudem calls it prophecy and Vern Preuthers doesn't. And that is giving room for these, these hunches that we get. Because again, the Holy Spirit is always moving. Um, and so I think that we really need to, we need to allow for those kind of experiences while at the same time not giving it the weight of authority that we would with scripture. Um, because that I think more than anything, uh, more than, well, more than anything, we need the word of God. But we also need, because we're, look, we're interacting with a fallen and broken world, right? And, uh, and, and again, given our broader topic of, you know, race and justice, oh my gosh, just look at what's happened in Texas this past week, which is just awful, you know? Um, I don't know where the breakdown was. I mean, I know there's a lot of finger pointing, but there are a lot of people who are suffering. I mean, people were without water, people, I mean, for days, this wasn't just a one day deal. Um, I mean, I, I, I saw pictures today of like the inside of people's houses with icicles on things. Toilets were frozen. You know, you had pipes bursting, right? And all around this, and this is just one incident. We can look at what's happened with COVID. Um, you know, there is from the fall, there has been, um, I want to say evil, injustice, there has been um, just the impact of, you know, what happens, natural disasters, you know, where people suffer, intentional oppression. Um, and so how do we, how do we deal with that? Because we can go to scripture, right, and say that, but then when you're in, in the moment in time and space, what, what does, what, how does the word of God inform how we interact in these situations. How do we respond to these situations? And that's where I say, yeah, we do need to give like a little bit of room for our experience. I think you're absolutely right. Um, you know, I, I think maybe the breakdown for what happened in Texas was in Cancun. Maybe that's why the, I'm sorry, <laughs> I just, uh, that's, I'm going to get an email. Yeah, we will. Let's, let, let's, um, let's not talk about I'm going to get an email for that Mr. one. Um, I'm just saying, maybe maybe he was looking for the breakdown and, and there was a lead in, in Cancun. Um, so I, I think when we're talking about this, <laughs> um, maybe it's helpful to have their special revelation. That's the word written in, in the scriptures, uh, is the scriptures. And we have to be careful here because there's a... Um, there was a, a confession of 1967 
um, that some of our Presbyterian brothers and sisters hold to. Now, the Confession of 1967 is very important when it comes to issues of justice and oppression and race. But one of the problems with the Confession is it changes the language from um, the scriptures are the word of God to the scriptures contain the word of God. Um, and, and that becomes a, a, you know, your little squeal there is, is evidence of the problems that can, we can run into, yes. right? So, uh, I don't, I may accidentally misspeak and say, you know, that we find the word of God in scripture or something like that. I don't mean what 67 says. The scriptures okay. are the word of God. Um, but I think what's helpful for us is there's the word of God. There's the spirit applying special revelation to our circumstances. A lot of what we would think are these extra uh, bits of information from God aren't actually extra. It's the word of God itself being applied by the spirit in our specific situation. The spirit, like you were saying, is at work. And that's not extra special revelation that's out there. That's actually the Holy Spirit using special revelation to speak into our specific situations. And then a third category, and here's where you and I have probably a theological disagreement. Um, In our Reformed Presbyterian world, um, you would be considered a cessationist. I would be considered a continuationist. Um, We don't use the word charismatic, I think, because there's all the implications of that. I do not believe that the gifts in the New Testament have ceased the way that our brother Vern Poitras does. Um, and, and I really appreciate Vern's, uh, Vern's work here. But here's where I think what you said earlier was incredibly helpful. Any kind of continuationist understanding of God's revelation is more akin to general revelation than to special revelation. Um, it is the work of the conscience, or it is the it is God giving you special insight into a situation for a moment that would not carry with it the same level of authority as special revelation. It is much more alike to general revelation. It has authority, the authority of God, but it is not of the same type of authority as the scriptures. Um, and and I think in the continuationist camp. That's gonna that's gonna be a helpful governor to what we're trying to to say here. When people start talking about God told me this, I get really uncomfortable because if I As can't, you should. yeah, if 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 I can't see from Scripture how He told you that, or and this is where you do hear it sometimes, if God is telling you to sin, then it's probably not God. Um, you know, God told me to divorce my spouse. Uh, I don't think he did. I'm just, uh, no, he didn't. And if, if divorce is something that you're facing, it's God may have given allowance for divorce and you can take me to the scriptures that give you that allowance, but you just got mad at your spouse for a minute and say, oh, well, God told me to divorce. No, mm-mm. Mm-hmm. let's walk through that because God, whatever we receive from God, be it intuition um, be it uh, a word for a moment, be it the applied word to a circumstance, it will never contradict what's plainly written in the scriptures because God does not contradict himself. Um, and so I think that's a just helpful if you are a continuationist or a cessationist, um, you kind of end up in a similar place. The scripture reigns supreme. 
the Bible is God's authoritative word to us. And so that means we shouldn't add to it. It also means we shouldn't take away from it. Um, and this is the other thing that I can see happening in um, some of our circles, Lisa. I call it the fallacy of the primacy of Paul. Huh, um, that sounds fancy. It does. I only call it that in my head. I don't say that out there in the world much because it doesn't really. It's this view that a lot in the a lot of folks in the Reformed tradition have, mm -hmm. where the writings of Paul are elevated beyond the rest of Scripture, hmm. and I don't think it's intentional. I do think it's why anytime we get to social issues. People are happy to bring up Paul and loathe to bring up the prophets, loathe to bring up the Gospels. Mm -hmm. And I think we ought to be very careful that we don't play this version of biblical hermeneutic or theological method, you put it earlier, where we're elevating some portions of Scripture above others. There's other areas out there in the Christian world that maybe elevate the teachings of, you know, like red letter Christian groups and stuff like that. But in the reformed world, I think we've got our own Pauline version of that where we elevate the teachings of Paul above all else. We just got to be really careful. If this is God's word, all of it is profitable. Mm -hmm. Let me use Paul to say, don't just look at Paul. All of it is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. And so, um, I think that's also helpful. That's something that I see happen is certain passages of scripture get discounted in favor of others. Right. And I think that that, that in conjunction with what do you do with this continuation? You know, how does God continue to move in a way that is not violating the sufficiency of scripture? And I, it seems to me, and I could be wrong, that those who are who tend to be more open to you know to the you know the hunches the spirits work um going and i don't want to say i want to be careful here it's because it's not going beyond the bounds of scripture but like you said applying special revelation tend to i think and this is just a general observation i could be wrong you know, tend to be, I think, more open to, um, you know, to dealing with issues of social justice, whereas those who take more of a restrained approach, like you said, and, and maybe even elevating Paul um, above the rest of Scripture, is, you know, tends to avoid, you know, or, or tends to, you know, have... Uh, criticism or critique and I want to be careful here because I do with some of the you know secular methodology that is out there but it does seem to me since we since you raised that it does seem to me that those who are more open are also more open to I would say more more open to God's work in general revelation um, and maybe that's where we see the divide we you know we see this disconnect with with the the different camps well and i think it, it within that creates a lot of room for sharpening right so those who um 
maybe a little bit more open to to trying to follow the promptings of the spirit in a more experiential way who may be more open to social justice type conversations we need folks to speak to us and say hey make sure that's actually the bible and not your own emotions or your own uh maybe even your own political theory don't baptize your political theory by saying well this is what the bible teaches not necessarily that's how you're applying the bible absolutely and maybe in a valid way but don't say that's necessarily what the Bible's like. The Bible doesn't teach us universal health care. We can maybe apply the Bible in that direction, but you can't go to Acts 22 and find universal health care, right? Like, that's just not a thing. Um, and so we, we need folks to – there's a little bit of a um, rain holding that are more um, – I don't want to use the word conservative because that's not the right word – but are more wary folks who are like, ah, I'm, I'm not so sure about what you're saying is the spirit might just be you. Um, we need the reins pulled. And those who are a little bit more uncomfortable being pulled in the direction of the Holy Spirit's leading us here need to get pulled in that direction a little bit sometimes too. There's a way we can sharpen one another and help one another as we talk through these issues. Right. And that's why I think conversations like this are so important, because we spend so much time with the finger pointing and saying, well, you know, the problem with those people, whether it's the woke or anti-woke, you know, is this, well, well how do you know? I mean, look, we're, we're complex individuals. Um, and, and we need to, uh, uh, we need to account for that. And, and I think that you're absolutely right, that if we can listen to one another, and, you know, and say, well, you know, hey, I, I, I hear what you're saying, that you believe that this is what God would have us do. But we really need to go back to Scripture. And, and how are you being informed by Scripture about that? You know, and this is the beauty of looking at the whole counsel of God and even looking at the whole counsel of God. There's still going to be disagreement, right? Because we can see even from a cultural context the difference between what the prophets were addressing to Israel in the Old Testament, because there is a lot of talk of, you know, of injustice, of oppression. But when we get to the New Testament, eh, not so much. And maybe this is why people lean on Paul, because it's like, yeah, Paul's not talking about that stuff. But, <laughs> but it, it was a different cultural context, right? The, by then, the Roman Empire was in place. Um, and had a, a very, a very much of a stronghold on, you know, on this large area where you didn't have really have the opportunity to, you know, to participate in a, you know, in an oppositional kind of, you know, uh, oppositional initiatives or government because that was it. You know, you either bait and this is why Christians were persecuted because they didn't you know, in the, in, the, in the Roman Empire, Caesar was Lord. And for Christians, Jesus is Lord. Amen. Yeah. And there yeah. was, and there, and there, look, the, the Roman government, they didn't care who you worship, but you had to say Caesar was Lord. Right. And that's what, that's, so, so in terms of what justice looked like in the Old Testament, in that paradigm, it's a little bit different than the New Testament. And we need to give, in looking at the whole counsel of God, we need to consider, mm -hmm. consider those differences. And, and that's going to be, you know, we're going to have a whole conversation here in a couple of weeks about the, the way that 
culture impacts even the writing of scripture. Um, and we're not going to talk about it in a way that discounts the divine author. It's the word of God. But he used human authors. There's a, um, there was a book, I forget who wrote The Incarnational Word. He's a famous theologian from the 20th century, and I cannot remember his name for the life of me right now. Um, but the, the word of God is, um, you know, the word of God in the sun is body, is human and divine. Um, the analogy here is to scripture. It is written by human beings, but it is the divine word of God. It is both. And the, when we look at it from the human perspective, there is culture that impacts. And where it becomes a challenge is the culture of first century um, Palestine, when the New Testament is being written, is very different than 21st century America. Which yes. leads us to some challenging questions about application and mm -hmm. will lead to some, some um, loving disagreement about how we ought to apply the scriptures because we are 2,000 years removed and an, a couple oceans away. Like, we just have to be willing to agree to disagree and to disagree well when it comes to some of this application without the charge of you're just ignoring scripture because that's an unfair charge um sometimes people are just outright ignoring scripture but if if there are people who love one another and love the lord and come out with disagreements it's ordinarily in this realm of application not in the realm mm -hmm. of understanding what the scripture is actually teaching Right. And this is where I say, you know, it, it, initially I was going to say for the person who kind of neglects the sufficiency of scripture, right? Because you can, you can take a prideful posture in what you believe God is communicating to you when, like you said earlier, it's being influenced by your, you know, cultural pro, pro, pro um, Pro, you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> proclivities. Yeah, Thank yeah. you. Proclivities. Right. Um, you know, it's being influenced by your by your political orientation, and you're trying to, you know, and you're trying to put God on top of that. Right. And you know, we we need to we need to step back from doing that. But I would say it's also for the person who's more restrained, right? Because we can be prideful either ways. Mm. And this is where I think that we really need we, we really need to humble ourselves before the word of God, especially when it comes to these applications that result in such diverse differences. Um, you know, to really ask hard questions like could that could that be the case? Like there are some things that we, you know, that we really need to be dogmatic about. But then there are other things that we have to say, okay, yeah, maybe I can see that application of scripture. You know, you bring up the prophets. So when the prophets talk about justice, like, you know, we're, you know, the more restrained folks are more likely to resist that application. But at the same time, it's, you know, it's really asking those hard questions. And, you know, and being and being humble about it, being willing to acknowledge, you know what, maybe I'm not really thinking rightly about this. And maybe I'm letting these other influences inform how I consider this application. Yeah, the humility is key. If we don't have the humility to sit with one another and allow 
our conclusions to be lovingly challenged by fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, then we will never grow in our in our pursuit of godliness. I mean, in the end, um, the goal for the Christian is Christ-likeness. That's what we're pursuing, and we can lose sight of Christ-likeness in pursuit of these other things, which are good, but not ultimate. The ultimate call for the Christian is to be more like Christ. And so, you know, I, I think... The way I, I would want to end today and, and move us into next week's conversation that gets us a little bit more into what is the primary story of the scriptures. There's a lot of conversation around story, and we'll, we'll pick through that a little bit. Um, when, when we come to the scriptures, we are allowing the word of God to cut away all of those things that don't fall in line with what God wants for us. And so when we're talking about issues of social justice, when we're talking about ethnicity, when we're talking about race, we have to be careful that we are allowing the scriptures to shape our approach to these issues. And, you know, we talked last week about common grace. We talked last week about the, you know, there is a place for common grace, but we can't lean solely on common grace. Common grace must be um, informed and molded by Scripture. And so, you know, my hope is that as we talk through social justice issues as churches, that the Scriptures would be the place we go first. Um, Before we go to even Christian authors who have really good things to say about the current state of things, the Scriptures first. Um, because it is the word of God that can be now applied to the common situation. We, we don't want to be functioning as if scripture is really good for my salvation, but irrelevant to the issues of the day. And we can do that from a more, you know, reserved place. But I think a lot of folks can, people who are really impassioned about social justice can function as if, Actually, the Bible got me so far, but now I need all these other things to get me further. Um, yes. Not necessarily. Use the other tools that God has given you by common grace, but man, it is the scriptures that speak to your current situation. Lisa, any last words for us before we go? No, that's all I, I, I just have to say. You know, we were, we were talking about justice. We love to quote, what is it, Micah? Yep, Micah Five. six eight. Micah six eight. Come on, right? man, gotta get it right. Micah six eight. <laughs> Micah six eight. Right. Do justice, but let's not forget this part, and walk humbly. Yes. Before your God. Amen. Um, we are finite creatures with limited understanding, and you know some have better understanding than others, but we are our our, our understanding is limited. And um, we just need to acknowledge that. It's a good word to end on. Walk humbly. Disagree well. We'll see you again next week for another episode of Family Discussion. Well, thank you again for joining us for this week's Family Discussion. If you'd like to learn more or catch up on episodes you missed, head on over to our home at reformedmargins.com. There you'll find great content about a whole host of issues that we pray will bless your relationship with Jesus. 
including articles written by Lisa Spencer and me, Marcos Ortega. Family Discussion is a podcast of Reform Margins, a site dedicated to providing a platform for people of color to engage the larger Reformed and Evangelical conversations. Your hosts are Marcos Ortega and Lisa Spencer. Our producer is Larry Lynn. Family Discussion is hosted by Podbean and recorded with Audacity. If you like what you heard today, it would be a great help to us if you gave a quick review and rating on iTunes. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to your favorite content so that you don't miss our next Family Discussion.